And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. E. Calvin Beisner, the president and founder and national spokesman for the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. And Cal, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Dan, the honor is all mine. Thank you so much. I get your mailings regularly, and um, one of the articles that you forwarded to us was titled, The New Anti-Agricultural Movement, Why the Church Must Pray and Act. And this particular article resonated with me, and I'll just tell you a quick little story. Um, Not far from where Deb and I live, there's some farmland that changed hands, and it used to be very productive. There was a farmer there that he knew what he was doing. He produced a lot of food. When this changed hands to someone I won't name, (laughs) but that's associated with um, probably the World Economic Forum type of perspective, um, they brought in a lot of expensive equipment and all of that, but the land is not really producing anything. And it's been that way for years now, maybe several years. And it kind of grieves me and my wife as we drive past it. Mm. We think, wow, they used to be corn here, and and what on earth are they doing? They're growing weeds. And so anyway, um, I think it kind of goes along with this article a little bit that there is some kind of a strategy going on, and it's really against farming. Uh, Can you tell us more from your perspective? Well, you know, Dan, in in a lot of ways, the whole thing just seems very, very strange. Um, It's it's really difficult to figure out what motivates a lot of this. Uh, As you said about that particular piece of land um, taken over by... Uh, someone uh, presumably with a whole lot more uh, capital available oh, than yeah. the people who who uh, managed that land before, um, tied to the World Economic Forum out of uh, Davos, Switzerland, the uh, <laughs> yeah the, the 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 place where you know the world's billionaires gather <laughs> yeah once a year. Um, What's so strange is that you would think that when they would take a piece of land like that, they would use their large capital to be able to increase the productivity of that land right. per acre. And instead, there, and frankly, in many other places, what they're doing is they're taking it out of agricultural production, and they're kind of returning it to nature. And uh, where does this stem from? Well, A lot of these folks really think that the world is overpopulated. And for that reason, they think that uh, if they can drive up food prices, they can – well, one hopes that they don't think that they can starve people Mm. so as to push population down. But perhaps what they think is, well, the more expensive we make food, the fewer children people will decide to have. And, you know, that is – a uh, that's a reasonable expectation. Um, you know, many families say that they would choose to have more children 
if their costs were lower, and food is one of those costs. In fact, uh, most women in the United States, I, I just heard an interview with uh, Dr. Eberstadt, uh, one of the world's leading demographers, who mentioned that uh, most American women say that they would like to have more children than, in fact, they wind up having. And costs are a major reason for that. So uh, on the one hand, you, you think um, perhaps that this is stemming from uh, the desire to reduce population around the world. Uh, then in addition, it seems to stem from the desire to, uh, to counteract global warming caused by greenhouse gases. Some of those greenhouse gases uh, include, uh, of course, carbon dioxide, which comes when we burn fossil fuels, and fossil fuels tend to be the fuel of uh, most farm equipment. Uh, they also it also comes from methane, uh, which is released <laughs> from both ends of cattle, frankly. <laughs> and, uh, and then it also comes from nitrous oxide, uh, which is uh, released by uh, the the uh, application of fertilizers to farmland. And so, for example, uh, the Netherlands has uh, uh, cracked down on the use of nitrogen uh, fertilizers in, uh, in farms there. And the, the Netherlands, by the way, though it's a tiny country about the size of the state of Maryland, is the world's number two exporter of of uh, agricultural crops mm. and the the uh, the government decision there to force farmers to use far less nitrous oxide on their crops is actually likely to to uh, wind up closing uh, thousands of farms there and uh, reduce the remaining farms to a small percentage of their prior productivity that's going to increase food prices all over the world, uh, but especially in, uh, in very vulnerable places like Africa and uh, parts of Asia that have been uh, importing food from the Netherlands. Canada is taking steps in the same direction. And of course, in the Netherlands, we've seen, uh, we've seen protests by farmers <laughs> driving their tractors down the highways into the cities and... Uh, uh, causing disruption there. Uh, what's what's really sad is that none of this is necessary. No. The world is not overpopulated. Uh, climate change, uh, global warming driven by greenhouse gases, does not uh, threaten to cause any uh, great damage. In fact, the benefits of the warming probably outweigh the, the costs of it. And certainly the benefits of the, the uh, fossil fuel energy, which is roughly 85% of all the energy we use in the world, the benefits of the farming, uh, these things far outweigh any harms that could come from climate change. Yeah. Well, so many um, things come, th come to mind. One immediately is um, as the prices go up of uh, fuel, heating oil, and propane, uh, you know, we live out in the country, uh, more and more people are going to be burning wood uh, this exactly. winter. And yeah. uh, there, there actually is some 
pollution from the burning of wood. I, I, I think that's fine, too, but um, it's certainly not as clean as uh, burning propane or burning uh, fuel oil. Natural gas. Natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are really feeling this, and I don't think people really like to think about this. It's a lot easier to uh, kind of stick our heads in the sand <laughs> and, and ignore it. But then when the food starts to run out, uh, you can't ignore it because you're starting to get hungry. And you say, wait a minute, I think I'll go down to the store and get some food. Uh, if you're even allowed to drive anymore to the store and get some food. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that <laughs> I can't resist telling this story. The other day, Deb and I were out and about. And I, I saw these guys charging their Teslas, and I always wanted to t- I always wanted to talk to one of these chaps, you know. And so I struck up a conversation, and I, I was, you know, I, I think it's a fascinating technology. Don't get me wrong, but yes, it is. Um, people don't realize where the energy is coming from, and this was in <clears throat> close to Newburgh, New York, and there's actually a natural gas fired. A generating plant right near Newburgh, and I, I told my wife, I said, I, probably a lot of that energy is coming from this natural gas-fired plant just up the river, <laughs> which is very close and connected to the grid. Um, but I was asking the guy, you know, how long does it take to charge that? And, you know, it varies depending on how low the battery got, and it could be as short as, you know, 10, 20 minutes for a shorter charge, but it could be almost up to an hour, you know, if he's really drained the thing down. Mm-hmm. And then he was telling me how that you, and he was all in favor of this. He was happy about it. You, and all these people were just sitting there in their cars, probably texting on their phone. Um, some of them, you know, a few of them up to an hour. Well, presumably the the regular cars um, already got through their <laughs> destination. Um so, yeah, he was he was telling me all about the technology and how that there's a screen that comes up and it'll tell you where the charging station is. And then I got thinking, wait a minute, there's just so many of these charging stations here in this one little spot. And it's about the only there's only a couple of spots in town, maybe uh, it's the only one I know of. And there are not that many of them. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you've got all these Teslas. I could foresee them getting in a line and and waiting to get to the charging station, and then that adds all the more time. Um, So I've become very, very appreciative of fossil fuel for many reasons, and um, I just want to throw that in there. It was kind of fun talking (laughs) to this. Yeah, it was kind of fun talking to this Tesla owner, and um, I have no bad feelings at all. It's just that I hope that folks will wake up and say, wait a minute. This is not the panacea we think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dan, I have a, a dear friend. Uh, our friendship goes back 40 years plus now. Um, uh, and he has grown pretty wealthy uh, as a leader in the tech industry. Um, uh, and he has a Tesla. And frankly, he has a couple of other very high-end cars <laughs> because he has them as toys, sure. hobbies. You know, I mean, he's he's the sort of guy who, uh, until recently, he developed a little bit of a uh, a heart 
problem, and so uh-huh. he was grounded as a pilot. But until recently, his uh, favorite hobby was to go up and play uh, laser tag, flying his plane <laughs> along with a friend flying his plane, and they would shoot at each other with lasers. <laughs> so uh, you know, this is this is fun stuff. But um, he says, I, I love the technology of the uh, sure. of my Tesla. But frankly, it is uh, it is truly a plaything of the wealthy. Mm-hmm. It is never going to be able to replace the internal combustion engine for ordinary people. Uh, the costs are way too high, both the initial cost of purchase and the cost of replacing the battery later. And frankly, also, uh, the costs of making that battery. Um, you have yes. to move you have to move massive amounts of earth to get the various minerals and metals that are necessary for making that battery, uh, that earth moving gets done by machines powered mostly by (laughs) fossil fuels. It's true. Uh, You you actually have to move more earth to provide electricity through wind and solar and through batteries than you do to provide uh, power from uh, coal or oil or natural Mm. gas. And the the results are dirtier because you're dealing with more toxic uh, minerals. Uh, so this this whole thing is uh, is is a sad instance of of people just kind of getting carried away. The initial fear was that our release of carbon dioxide from burning fossil fuels would cause dangerous global warming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's increasingly clear that that fear is unjustified. Even the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which creates various scenarios for the future based on different assumptions about how much fossil fuel get, gets used in the future, particularly how much coal, even in its worst warming scenarios, um, the, the poorest nations of the world today are many times wealthier at the end of the century than they are now, which entails of necessity the conclusion that climate problems are nothing compared with poverty, right. that, that, uh, that economic growth can protect us from all sorts of climate problems, uh, such that even if the climate were to get worse, which there's frankly no evidence that it's doing so. There's been no increase in the frequency, intensity, or duration of extreme weather events, uh, whether hurricanes or floods or mm-hmm. droughts or tornadoes or you know wildfires associated with such things, anything like that. No evidence of an increasing frequency or intensity of extreme weather events over the last 170 years since global warming picked up around 1850 over the past 60 years since human CO2 emissions might have reached high enough to to really be a major driver of the warming, Uh, certainly none over the last 20 years. Uh, And meanwhile, by the way, there's been a more than 98% decline in uh, human mortality associated with extreme weather events. And it's not because the weather events are getting fewer or less intense. There's essentially no change. It's because economic growth enables people to protect themselves from extreme weather. Mm. They can build stronger houses, stronger commercial buildings. They can have warning systems well in advance. 
they they have uh, solid infrastructure that can either withstand storms or uh, be repaired quickly after storms. On and on, these things protect people. And what that tells us is that uh, that the risks to human health and well-being from poverty far exceed the risks from anything related to climate, right. as I've put right. it many, many times. If you even have income equivalent to, say, the bottom fifth of Americans, you can thrive physically in any climate from the Arctic Circle to the Sahara Desert to the Brazilian rainforest. Mm. But if you have income of uh, equivalent to a dollar or two per day per person, you can't thrive in the best tropical paradise. Yes. So <laughs> economic development, economic growth is far more important to helping people than anything related to reducing global warming. Oh, yeah, so true. Today we're talking with Dr. E. Cal Beisner, president, founder, and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. He can be found online at cornwallalliance.org. Did I get that right? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> And there, there people can, can sign up for our uh, email newsletter, which is always educational. Yeah. Uh, they can also uh, find us uh, on our podcast, Created to Rain. That's on Spotify and Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts and, and most of the major podcast platforms. Uh, and, of course, we have a Facebook page and a YouTube page, a uh, YouTube channel where we have lots of videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, all sorts of educational resources available that we we would love for your listeners to uh, to take advantage of for themselves, but also share with others. Yeah, it's very educational, and your last name is spelled B E I S N E R Beisner. That is correct. Um, I I also noticed that you have some upcoming speaking engagements, depending on where our listener is today listening. Uh, there's one coming up pretty soon, Friday, October the 7th in Arizona. Just looking down your list, you have another one, October the 9th, Climate Change, Society and Scripture and Conflict, question mark. And you've got a two-day conference coming up, Thinking Biblically About Earth Stewardship and the Conquest of Poverty in the Age of Climate Change. So you can, dear listener, you can see all that on his website but uh, mention, mention this, if you would, Dr. Beisner. When you grew up, as a little guy, uh, you grew up in India. Can you tell us, again, I know you've shared it before, but can you tell us yeah. what what you saw there? Well, I'd start by saying I'm not sure that I grew up terribly much. I was only there for one year. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> and it was as a toddler. So I, I certainly wasn't a grown-up by the time I left. Uh But, uh, yes, back uh, in my toddler time, my father worked with the U.S. State Department, and he was posted to Calcutta, India. And uh, I just have some picture memories from then, uh, from that early, early period in my childhood. One of them was uh, of a wonderful, tall, green tree in the courtyard of the apartment building where uh, where my family lived. And... uh, Later, when I became a Christian and, and thought back on that memory, it, it became symbolic to me 
of the beauty of God's creation, and uh, it fit with my growing desire to be used by the Lord to help people know how to steward God's creation Amen. well, to keep it beautiful, to keep it, uh, to keep it fruitful, to keep it safe, and so on. But while we lived there, uh, my mother contracted a disease that paralyzed her. She was paralyzed for about six months. And so during that time, I was farmed out to an Indian family because my dad was working and couldn't take care of me well, himself. Sure. And my mother certainly couldn't. So early every morning, my ayah or nurse would take me by the hand, would go down through that courtyard, and I'd see that beautiful tree with a, a red flowering vine hanging out of it, just gorgeous. And then we would walk out onto the street, and we would walk a number of blocks to the home where I would stay. And along the way, all along the way, because we were out early in the morning before the trucks came around, I would step over the bodies of people who had died overnight of disease oh. and starvation. And those pictures have stayed with me all of my life. And while that beautiful tree motivates me to the preservation, the protection of God's beautiful creation, those bodies remind me of the importance of, of lifting people out of poverty. And unfortunately, an awful lot of the environmental movement is opposed to economic development for the very poor. It tends to see the natural world as a very fragile, delicate thing, but a nurturing thing. And thus, if we would just simply harmonize with it and reduce our impact on it, everything would be fine. Uh, if you buy into that, of course, you should not object to being dropped naked with no tools and no friends into the middle of the Brazilian rainforest because you think that it's going to take care of you. Yes. Uh, actually, you might have a life expectancy then of two or three days. Uh, instead, the biblical worldview tells us that the the natural world is a very robust, resilient, self-correcting place, but it's also – uh, a dangerous place unless it is brought into subjection uh, in accord with the command in Genesis 1.28 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything in it. Um, and so it's, a, it's a, a very robust, strong place, not fragile, not delicate, uh, and a dangerous place, but it's a place with tremendous potential when we learn to master it. And so that's why, as I have worked uh, through now going on 40 years paying attention to these issues, yes, um, I, I've tried to integrate concern for economic development for the poor with concern for stewarding the natural world in a way that enhances its, its fruitfulness its safety, and its beauty to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors. Well, that's a beautiful rundown. And, and thank you very much for sharing about your time in India. And um, even if it was for one year and, and not growing up there entirely. Um, today we're talking with Dr. E. Calvin Beisner. And uh, the website is cornwallalliance.org. 
And Cal, you've written some books. You've done an awful lot. Um, I, I must say, also, you've you 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 used to teach at Knox Theological Seminary. Uh, you've taught at Covenant College. You've been an elder in the PCA Church, as well as the OPC Church. You participated in a new congregation plant, and just worked your tail off essentially. And uh, I praise God for people like you because it's not just talk, but it's action. And and we really need a lot of action today. Um, it's it's time to do our part in this world for the glory of God. We have one minute re- remaining. Can you summarize and encourage before we have to go? Hmm. To summarize and encourage. Uh, In one minute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I would say then is is this, that, uh, that we Christians know all the time that God is working all things together for our good, uh, so that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. If we will turn our minds to him, if we will meditate on his word and seek to have it uh, rule every thought, every minute of our lives, uh, we will become uh, productive servants of God, and we will enjoy him more and more over time. That's a beautiful summary. Our guest today is Dr. E. Cal Beisner. And Cal, it's an honor to have you on with us, and may God bless you. And congratulations, uh, little birdie told me that you have a new grandchild. I do indeed. Number 15. I was born about uh, six weeks ago now. That's a beautiful thing. Beautiful, beautiful. Be fruitful and multiply, and, and you're taking that seriously in your own family, and now your children are. We're we're doing our best, and the Lord <laughs> has been good to us. Uh, we, yeah, we we do thank Him for that. Amen. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you, Cal, and dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 